The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. We've been going through the study of Joseph, and we've spent the last several weeks in a very small portion of Scripture, uh, Genesis 45, 4 through 13, 11 verses of Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. But in doing so, he has hit some very key things that are so important in his message. Last week, we looked at the repetition of the name God, as it was shown in verses 5, 7, 8, and 9, how Joseph continually put things back in the will of God, and that God was in control of everything. This morning, I want to look at a word a very simple word, the word come. You see, in in Joseph's message to his brothers, he gave them two key commands. In verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. In verse 9, he told them to go and tell his father to come down to me. These two are incredibly important because it reveals to us the true heart of Joseph, and it also reveals to us the true heart of Jesus himself. So the first thing that I want us to look at is his statement, come to me. It's hard to think of these invitations without thinking of the parallel invitations of the Lord Jesus Christ, our elder brother, who gives us love in spite of the way we've treated him. The greater invitation is prefigured in Joseph summoning his brothers to come. Come is a very common word. It's not thought about often, but it's a powerful, wonderful word when used in the gospel and when given by Jesus Christ himself. Like Joseph's brothers, we have sinned against our rightful sovereign and savior. We deserve to be driven from his presence. But he died for us. He gave his life to pay the penalty of our sinfulness. Now he reaches out with the gospel invitation to come to him. Another interesting aspect of this is come and see. Consider another invitation to come the invitation of the angel to the woman who wanted to anoint the body of Jesus that Easter morning. This was an important come because it came prior to the call to accept Christ as Savior. Now, you may not be ready to do that. You may not yet be convinced that Jesus is the Savior. Then this come is for you. The woman had come to the tomb so early that some of the accounts say that it was still dark. But they were coming expecting to see a body. They were not coming expecting a resurrection. When I went to that church plant in the town hall of Shelburne, Vermont at 17 years old, I wasn't expecting a personal relationship with Christ. And these women were not expecting a resurrection. They were expecting to find a dead body to anoint. But suddenly they saw the angel and they heard him say in Matthew 28, 5 through 7, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. 
He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. I can think of many things that might have caused these women to reject what they heard. I mean, it's the place it was. It was in a cemetery, certainly not the most beautiful place to be. It was very dark. They could have said, look, let's come back when our eyesights are clearer. Uh, Something's here and and I'm confused. It might have been the Edict of Rome that hindered them and caused them to turn away. The tomb had been sealed by Pilate's order. There were soldiers stationed around it, though at this point they were gone. Something unexplained had happened. The great covering stone had been removed. The seal had been broken. Roman edict had been denied. If they had run, we could understand. Because we recognize that fear and secular authority and sin often keep a person from the Savior. Yet the women were not hindered by these things. Here was an invitation to come and to see the empty tomb. The woman recognized the authenticity of the voice of the angel as being from God. Why were the woman to come? Well, the angel explained it. It was to see the place where the Lord had laid. Think for a moment about why we should see the grave and how we may profit by it. There are several things. First, we see the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was not just a man whom death would be natural. Jesus was Lord. He was Jehovah. Jesus was God in eternity with God, co-equal with God in his glory. Yet he veiled that glory, took on the form of a man and was born, lived a life and went to the cross to pay for our sins. When we look at the grave, we see the humility of our Lord. Secondly, we see the horror of sin that placed him there. Jesus did not die for his own sins. He was sinless. He died in our place. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. When we see the place where the Lord lay and say, it is my sin that placed him there, we begin to develop a proper awareness of sin and the hatred of it. Third, we are reminded that one day we too will lie in the grave if the Lord tarries. I mean, let's be honest, every one of us will die. There's a time of separation, time of separation from those we love. There is a time when we will no longer be in their presence. When we come to the tomb, we learn of our mortality, but we learn that there is a life beyond this life for which we must prepare. And in that very experience, there is tremendous joy for those who know the Lord. Tom and his family are experiencing that this week with the loss of his mom Thursday night. But what a testimony she had 
a wonderful woman who led her kids to Christ and lived a godly life. That's what's there for all of us who trust Christ. And that's because, number four, we come to see that Jesus is not in the grave. We come to the tomb not just to see the humility of our Lord and not just to see the horror of our sins and not just to be reminded of our mortality, but we come to the tomb to see that Jesus is not in it. He is risen. He has conquered the grave. The empty tomb is one of the great evidences of his resurrection. Now, there are other evidences as well. The change in the disciples. Before the resurrection, they were afraid, they were cowering, they were running. But after Easter morning, they were going through the whole Roman Empire, sharing the incredible story of Christ. And they were also willing to die for that message. But I think the greatest of all these, however, is the evidence of the empty tomb. Most of those who have written seriously about the events of this note very clearly that there was an empty tomb. In fact, all through Scripture, as well as secular writers such as Josephus and the Jewish Talmud, no one ever argues that the tomb was empty. It's a fact. Now, sometimes there are arguments that the disciples came and stole the body, and there are various things like that uh, that have caused the empty tomb. But all scholars agree, secular and religious, that the tomb was empty. What accounts for this? Well, certainly not the enemies of Christ. If they had the body, they would certainly have produced it when the disciples were talking that Jesus had raised from the grave and was going to glory. They had nothing to produce. And it certainly wouldn't have been the disciples saying, or having taken the body, because who would die for something that was fake? They willingly gave their lives for a truth because Jesus Christ had risen from the grave. And while we're looking at the tomb, we notice a fifth lesson. We shall also rise if we trust him. Jesus did not come to this earth to teach, to die, to rise again in order at the last day that he might lose those for whom he died. In fact, we're reminded of that great verse in John chapter 17 when Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Later in that same chapter, he says, I'm not only praying for them, that's his disciples around him, but for all those who would believe because of their words. That's you and I. And in that prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus was praying for each one of us. And when we know Christ and trust Christ, we have that glory that the tomb is empty for a reason. Not just so Christ can get back to heaven, and we see that, but we're going to be with him. He came, as the scriptures say, to save to the uttermost those who believe in him. We are saved not just in spirit, in order that we might have fellowship with God now, and not just in order that we might be transformed in our days on earth, we are saved in body also. So the salvation that brings Jesus is complete. It's body, soul, and spirit. And we know the scriptures teach that when one dies, they are absent from the body, they're present with the Lord. 
But there's coming a day when that body will be resurrected and united in glory. And that's the joy that Jesus provides by the empty tomb. When we come to the empty tomb, we see that one day we too shall rise and be with him. Have you done that? Have you heard the call to come and see? You need to respond to that call. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So the initial call of Joseph to the brothers was to come close. And the initial call of Jesus Christ to you and I is to come close, taste and see that the Lord is good. But then their call must go out. The second important come in the story of Joseph's revelation of himself to the brothers is the invitation that they are also to pass it on to their father Jacob and their household. First, the brothers were to come to Joseph, assuring themselves of his love for them and his forgiveness of their sins against him. Then they were to carry the message out. Genesis 45, verse 9, Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come to me. Do not tarry. You see, God made Joseph Lord of all Egypt but he made Jesus Christ Lord of all the earth. And he's calling you and I to come to him. We have this similar commission today. If you've heard and responded to the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is now our responsibility, like the brothers, to go out and share this message. And don't forget the second part of the angel's invitation to the woman at the tomb. After they were called to come and see they were instructed in Matthew 28, 7, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. You can just sense the excitement in the angel's voice. You and I, who have been gloriously saved by the blood of Christ, have been given the absolute privilege to take that same message and share it to someone else. And I don't know if I'm just looking at this differently, but I see an angel who's really excited because he delivers this message and then he says, See, I have told you. I got to represent the Son of God. I got to tell you the truth. Now, when you get excited about something, don't you love to be the one to tell somebody? You know, you go to tell somebody and they already know. How'd you know? Well, so-and-so told me. Oh, man. You know, the angel was the one that got to stand on the tomb and say, see, I told you. Now you can experience the same excitement. Go tell his disciples he's risen. And they ran with great excitement. Do we have that kind of excitement do we have that kind of passion to want to go share the Word of God? 
It's an amazing thing to see how the angel reacted. The fact that Jesus was risen was good news. Good news must be passed on. If the women did not tell it, it would be evidence that they did not recognize the good news for what it was. The other witness to consider is that of John the Baptist. You recall in John 1, 29, when, the, when Jesus came walking to him, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Imagine going to somebody and saying, Can I introduce you to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? And then when you're all done telling them all about it, see, I've told you. It's on you now, brother. I've given the message. Another witness is the woman of Samaria. The woman had simply come out from the city of Sychar to draw water. She had done it every day for who knows how long. Only this time, Jesus was sitting on the well. They struck up a conversation, and if you're familiar with the story, she realized suddenly that this man knew everything about her. And as she discovered that Jesus knew everything about her, what struck her most about the word come is that Jesus was not driving her away because of her sin, but rather he had come to save her from it. She got so excited that she later made her way back to the city and this word formed, this word come formed the very call, core of her call. John 4, 29, she said, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Come, see. Here was a very effective testimony for many came at her invitation. And by the end of their meeting Christ in John 4, 42, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Can you imagine a more wonderful word in the gospel when it is fully understood than the word come? Isaiah 1, 18 Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Come now, let's reason about this. Your scarlet, vile sins, they can be washed away. The guilt that you possess, it can be gone by trusting Christ. When he went to the cross at Calvary and he hung there to pay the price for your sins, when you trust him, they're washed away because they've been paid by Christ. And as I said before, God the Father looks at you through the blood of Christ. You are his. And the scripture makes very clear that all of us who come to Christ are a love gift from the Father to the Son. Do you realize this morning you're a gift? You, out of all the myriads of people throughout history, yet you are a gift to Jesus Christ? 
Mark 10, verse 21. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. What could be more clear, not only to those who don't know Christ, but especially to Christians who maybe their life is spun out of control? Maybe things aren't going the way they should be. Maybe things have just kind of caught you up. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And you know, it's just like that peace that passes all understanding. That peace that we receive is not our peace. It's his peace imputed into us. And when you have the peace of Christ in you, you can endure anything because you know he's in control. If you have never responded to Jesus' call to come, behold, today is the day of salvation. If you're a Christian mired in this world of hurt and come and find rest, leave your burden at the door, take up his cross and follow him. Joseph gave an invitation to his brothers, then an invitation to go out and bring their father and their family in. That same responsibility has been passed on to you and to me. Let's go in faith and obedience. Let's fill this place. Because we have the great news of Jesus Christ. And let's bid all people to come to him. The word come is out there. It reminds me of a story from years ago about a, a preacher who was on a train headed from one end of the state to the other. And he was going to speak at a revival meeting at a church. But as he was on the train making his way up to this other city, he noticed a young man on the train who was very nervous and very agitated. And he would sit for a while, and then he would get up, and he'd walk down the aisle, and back and back and back, and then he'd sit down, and he'd look out the windows, and he was biting his nail. And the preacher could tell that something was heavy on this young man's heart. So about halfway through the trip, he got up and he went over and he, and he sat down next to the man and he said, son, there's something eating at you. Can I help you? And the young man said, well, I, I guess it wouldn't hurt if I, if I shared it with you. He said, you see, years ago, I got in a lot of trouble and I was in a bad place in my life and it became a real cause of arguing between my dad and I. In fact, one day it got out of hand and we were so aggravated yelling at each other that I, I told him I was going away and I would never see him again and I packed my bags and I left. That was three years ago. He said, you know, today is my mother's birthday and I really want to see her. And so I wrote a note to my mother a couple of weeks ago and I said, I, I want to see you, but dad may not want me back. So if you could just tie a white cord around the tree as I'm coming by on the train, I'll see it. And, and if I see it, I'll, I'll know Dad wants me. And if I don't see it, I'll, I'll just keep going. He said, sir, are you familiar with the Sydney? He said, yeah, it's the next stop on this train. He goes, well, that's where I'm from. And he said, as we come around the bend here about a mile up, my house sits on the side of a hill. I can't bring myself to look. Could you look for me? Could you just look for me and then, and then just tell me if it's not there? I won't have to see it not there. Just, just tell me and I'll stay on the train. And so the preacher said, sure. And he looked out the window. Well, a few moments later, the preacher yelled out, Come! See! 
And he ran to the window. And there wasn't a white cord on the tree. There was a huge sign that said, come as you are. And there were white sheets on the roof and white blankets all over the shrubs. The house was awash in white. And that's the way I see the call of Christ. Come, come, find forgiveness. Find mercy and grace. I'm here for you. Will we come and surrender our will and let Christ be Christ in us? Let's pray. Father, we're we thank, so thankful for this call that Joseph gave his brothers and the call that he gave them to go out and bring his father and others in. Lord, I know there are probably some here this morning who haven't trusted you as Savior. They just can't let go of their self-wills. I pray that today, Lord, they would surrender to your call. To hear the call to come from the Holy Spirit, drawing them in. To come just as we are. We can't make any amends to it. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't make ourselves righteous first. We come broken, empty, in need of a Savior. And Lord, I pray if there are Christians here as well who, who have come, they've heard your call, but, but life has been tough. Things have knocked them down. Would you call them to just once again surrender, to come because your burden is light, because you take it for us. Lord, I pray that you would do your work in the hearts of every one of us. And may we rejoice in the newness, the freshness of a spirit-led life. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. See you all in a few minutes.